Jesus, today we thank you that we're in your presence. And Lord, we understand that you came to bring us into relationship with yourself and relationship with our Heavenly Father. Oh, you are a good, good Father. We thank you that you're not angry. And we all today have different ideas of what a father is. Because, Lord, we've all grown up under one. Some of our fathers may have been harsh. Some of our fathers may, Lord, not have fulfilled that title in the way that they should have fulfilled it. But, Lord, in spite of it all, we say thank you for our fathers. Lord, but Lord, today in your presence, we understand that you are a good, good Father. That you're calling us deeper still into a love that you have for us. That's never static or stale, but Lord, always relevant to every area of our lives. I pray today as we listen to your word that it would wash over us. It would wash over any of the areas of our lives that we feel broken in. Areas of our lives that seem so tangled up and so confused. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit today, you would set us free. Lord, today that you would bring us another step closer into this wonderful love that we can never be separated from in you. And I pray that every person in this room, Lord, would just feel your loving arms stretching out toward them. That in no way they would feel distant or removed or abandoned. You haven't abandoned anybody, Jesus. You came to save us. You came to have a living, loving relationship with us, not to chain us up in religion, not to straitjacket our lives in rules and regulations, but actually to take the straitjacket off, to break free the chains, to come into our prison and bring us out and give us new life. So, Lord, I just pray today that each one of us might just get a little glimpse of that. We would sense your wonderful love and go out from this place knowing that you are so good. We would taste today. We would taste it. We would taste it in our mind, in our spirit, at the core of our being where Real hunger exists for purpose and meaning and future. We would taste it at the core of our being today. In Jesus' name, we ask it for your glory. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a massive praise in this place. Excellent. And we applaud our musicians too. Let's give Isaac a great cheer today for singing that. That was fantastic.
Absolutely wonderful. Brilliant. Well, we're going to continue on from where we left, left off last week. And we're talking about the essential ingredient to building a healthy church. The essential ingredient to building a healthy life. It is, of course, love. It really is. And not just any old inferior love that is banded, banded about this world. A genuine love, the love of God that shed abroad in our heart by the work of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. I think it's absolutely wonderful that God comes by His Holy Spirit and sheds that love abroad in our heart. He empowers us. In, he enables us to live a life that defies the culture that we live in. He, de, he enables us and empowers us to be the light in this world. And the scripture that we referred to last week in John chapter 13, Jesus is demonstrating this to his disciples, this life of love. They found it hard to understand. They found it hard to accept just like we find it hard many times to embrace the greatness of this love. But if we are going to be successful in our Christian walk, if we are going to be successful as people in life, in building our families, in building our homes, in being what Jesus wants us to be in our workplace and out there in the world at the core and at the center of our being, this love has to be accessed. And lots of times when you're faced with choices and decisions and circumstances come and hit you up the side of the head, lots of times we go back into default. We go back into automatic pilot. And our attitudes and our, our behaviors may not be in line with what Jesus has prescribed. Maybe this week something's happened to you and suddenly you found yourself taking on this caricature that you wouldn't like anybody to see in church. Maybe this week you've got angry. Maybe this week you've said something that when you thought about it, you wish you hadn't said. That's the world that we live in and sometimes that's what happens to our behavior and we fall short? But Jesus said that he's going to give us a power and the power is love. And this love is going to be at the core of our being and at the center of our lives. And if we will give it room and if we will give it place and if we will allow it to have access to areas of our world, we will see great transformation and great success. It doesn't come natural, it's supernatural. And it's in you as a result of the Holy Spirit being in your life. On this night in John chapter 13, Jesus is in the room with his disciples. And let me just recap just a little bit about what had happened before this meeting on this night in this room that was very private and away from the crowds. 
in the afternoon, the disciples had been arguing who was the greatest. They were jockeying for position. They, they were competing one with another. They had been with Jesus for three years. They'd seen incredible things. They had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Every day of their walk with Jesus had been filled with spontaneous miracles. As life had met Jesus, as challenges had met Jesus, as impossibilities had met Jesus, these disciples that had walked with Him witnessed Him heal the sick, raise the dead. I mean, just imagine walking into a situation where somebody has died and watching Jesus lift that person from the grip of death and restore them to life. I don't think any of us really realize what kind of effect that would have on you. I have never seen that happen, and I do not know what would happen to my mind if that happened. I'm telling you, your whole idea, your whole perspective of Jesus and your understanding of Him would drastically change. We read about it in the Bible, and we believe it, but they saw it. In fact, John the Apostle said, the Word became flesh and we beheld, we saw it with our eyes, His glory. Our hands touched Him. These disciples were up close and personal with Jesus. They saw so many wonderful, wonderful miracles. They saw him heal a whole city load of sick people as they came to Peter's mother-in-law's house all night long. The door was open and people came through the living room and he was healing the demoniac, the insane, the mentally deranged. He was healing every kind of incurable sickness and these disciples witnessed it with their eyes they saw it all. And John said, it's glory that we're seeing. It's glory that we're experiencing. It's not normal. It's not natural. It only belongs to God. And the Word has been made flesh, and He's among us, and He's walking down the streets, and everything's changing before Him. He turned water into wine. How do you do that? Some of us know how to turn wine into water. But I'm telling you now to turn water into wine is an absolute miracle, friends. An absolute miracle. And it challenges your belief. Will you believe in somebody that can turn water into wine? It challenges you. Is this some kind of magic? Is this some kind of fake? Jesus stands toe-to-toe with every human being on the face of the earth. And he says, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I am God made flesh, and this is what I do. I challenge you whether you're going to believe it or not. Water into wine. He takes a meager supply, a lad's lunch, and he feeds 5,000 people with it, then 4,000 people with it, mind-bending miracles. Then he walks on water in the midst of a storm, and the disciples are fearing for their life because they think it's a ghost. I mean, these kind of things are just dramatic. These things that they saw are just 
off the chart, unbelievable, unimaginable. They saw it all. A man dead in a tomb for four days. And Jesus stands in front of the tomb and commands that the stone be rolled away. And everybody's panicking because they know that the man that's in that tomb is decomposing and stinking. And Jesus says, Lazarus, comes forth, come forth. And suddenly, a decomposing man that's dead for four days walks out and defies logic and order and normality. And then within hours, he sat at a table with Jesus eating tea. That's the kind of God that we serve. These are the miracles that he does. And though we may not have seen them yet, who knows what God can do? Who knows what Jesus will do in our midst. These men, their minds had been open to the miraculous. Their minds had, had seen incredible things, incredible things. And yet, and yet, after seeing all of those miracles, on the, on, on, on the afternoon before the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, these men were still arguing as to who was going to be the greatest. What does that tell you? I'll tell you what that tells you. The miracles of God cannot change the human heart. You can raise a dead man. You can feed a multitude. You can even walk on water in the midst of a storm and command it to be still. And still the heart of man can be hard as marble. The heart of man can still be stone-like and cold. And they were jockeying for position. They'd seen all of the miracles of God. Mind-bending miracles, but their characters and their minds and their hearts were still fighting one another. You see, miracles are wonderful. Miracles are from God. God does miracles, but it won't change your heart. What changes your heart is what Paul writes about in Romans, 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit shedding abroad the love of God. The children of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years. God goes to a man called Moses and tells, them, tells him, to set them to set them free. Moses goes down to Egypt and through incredible, miraculous intervention, God breaks the strength and the power of an Egyptian pharaoh. He humbles him. He smashes his power and he leads over, Moses leads over two million people out of Egypt through a Red Sea. There's a sea in front of them. God splits the sea. They walk through, not on soggy sand, friends. The Bible says they walked through on dry land. I'm telling you now, that's the God that we serve. Let's, let's get attentive to the detail of the Bible. Dry land. Dry land. They get to the other side. 
And the, the, the Egyptian army are following them furiously in their pride and in their arrogance. And God says to Moses, lift up your staff. Close this whole thing down on your oppressors. And suddenly he lifts up his staff. The sea closes in. And I'm telling you, the horse and the rider are no more. A nation can rise against Israel, but I'm telling you now, God's put his hand on them, and they can come out with all of their threats, but the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, friends. I'm telling you now, man can make his decisions and his plans, and he can give out his angry threats, but never ever forget that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. They go through the wilderness. And for 40 years, listen, 40 years, every single day, they see miraculous intervention. I mean, God provides their meals. God uh, provides their clothing. Their clothes grew with them. Their shoes didn't break apart. Sustained, everything was sustained by God. There was a cloud by day a visible pillar of fire by night that they could see with their eyes. It was a completely miraculous experience for 40 years. And yet when God brought them to the point where he wanted them to enter into the promised land, because of their hard heart, they refused to cross over. And they died in that wilderness that God wanted to get them through. What does it say to you? Miracles can't soften the human heart. They had it for 40 years. The disciples had it for three years. And on the eve of the night that Jesus was about to be betrayed, these men were harder than ever. Harder than ever. But you know the wonderful thing? God never gives up on us. God never gives up on any one of us. Oh, I tell you something now. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The Bible says anew every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Great was His faithfulness to Israel. Great was His faithfulness to those 12 disciples with hardness of heart. Great is his faithfulness to us, his people. He's going to get you through. He really is. So if your behavior's been bad, just back the car up. Just take a few steps back. Say the apologies that you need to say. And just walk on your happy, merry way. And put it behind you. Put it behind you. Don't allow it to come into your future. Don't allow it to take any more room in your mind or in your emotions. Your your mind is precious. It's a precious instrument designed by God. Your emotion, your emotional capacity is not to be weighed down with burden and guilt and and fear. But it's, it's to be liberated with joy, strengthened by God. It really is. Now, miracles don't change us. And that miracle you may have been praying for, Lord, zap that person. Take them to another planet. Open up the ground and swallow them up. No. 
He's not going to answer that prayer. Jesus comes to us and he says, listen, it's like this when you're following me. If somebody slaps you across the right side of your face, offer them the left side. If somebody demands that you, that you walk one mile with them, walk two. If they demand your money bag, give them your cloak as well, you see. And this is the design that God has for our life. And sometimes this design doesn't easily fit and mesh into the problems that we face. It's a way very often that's foreign to us, but it's a way that God will help us to walk in. He really will. We don't get there all at once. But as I read the Bible, nobody else got there all at once. They failed. And you may have said something to somebody that you shouldn't have said. You may have got angry with somebody that you shouldn't have got angry with. But you haven't killed anybody yet, have you? Like Moses did. So cheer up. You haven't chopped anybody's ear off yet, have you? Like Peter did. So don't be so down and hard on yourself. You're going to make it through. You really are. But this is the backdrop of this night where Jesus called his disciples into the room. Let's read it together. John chapter 13. We're going to read a lot of this chapter, verses uh, 3 to 20. And then just a little on from there, we're going to read a few more. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, now listen to Peter's words here, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now, he's just called Jesus Lord. And now he's turned color and said, you shall never wash my feet. Is he Lord or not, Peter? Because if he's Lord, there shouldn't be any objections within you when he comes to do something for you, you see. We can call him Lord. But when objection rises up within us because Jesus wants to do something for us, is he Lord? But this night was going to reveal it all. Who was Lord? This night was going to reveal so many things to these disciples about what they believed and what they relied on. You're never going to wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, 
but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, I said to you when we read this a few weeks ago, Jesus wasn't telling them to have a feet washing ministry, okay? When you read all of the chapters after this night, when the church was formed and when the church went out, they didn't go around the world washing people's feet. That is not what characterized them or characterized the church that Jesus was building, although it was a practice. But what Jesus was saying was, Under the, understand the spirit from which I am coming to you in. Understand what I am doing. It's not about taking your socks off and washing people's feet. This is about a spirit of life. This is about a, an attitude of heart towards others towards others, that takes the attention off you and places it on others. The Apostle Paul would later write many years later, in fact, to the church, he would say this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind, consider others better than yourself. This is the spirit in which Jesus was acting. You ought always to you ought all you you also ought to wash one another's feet. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you, I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you might believe that I am he. Can you see how Jesus uses the most tragic event of life to point to his glory? Even the most tragic events that would cause him to be set up, betrayed, and handed into the hands of wicked men, he even takes that event, the, the, the scheme that Judas had planned in order to betray him, to extract money from the high priest. Jesus is Lord of that too. He takes it and he uses it even before Judas does it, does it, does it. And he says, even that will glorify me, and after it's done, you will know you will know that I am He. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me, him who sent me. Now on into verse 34 to 38. Jesus, the same moment around the same table, says this to them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, and that also, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Peter said to him, Lord, 
Where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. On this night, Jesus was revealing what was authentic. Authentic life in him. They had seen all, the, all of the forgeries. They'd seen all of the fake religion that had not met the needs of the people. They'd seen all of the externals in the temple, the rites and the rituals and the legalistic system that wasn't meeting the needs of the human race. It was all coming down. Jesus had stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the fake, with the fraudulent, and he'd called them all hypocrites, play actors. He told them that they were like whitewashed sepulchers. They were like a, a, a grave full of dead man's bones. They had all of their prayers, all of their highfalutin words. They could make the public show these religious actors, and yet they had no substance to their, to their lives. And they gave rules to others that they did not fulfill themselves. And it was all a sham. It was all a show. And Jesus had come in the power and the demonstration of God's love, healing and delivering and instructing people saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And on this night, Jesus, in this private room, was showing these men what it was all about, what was authentic, and what was fake. Do you know, when I thought about this, I remembered a little incident in my life when I was a teenager. It was Christmas time, and I needed to get my, a present for my nan. I'd got one for my gramp, high karate aftershave. Off Ebervale Market. But you know what? My nan was a lady, and I had to do something a little bit more special for her. So I went on the bus to Cardiff as a young teenager, a long, long way from Ebervale, an hour's ride on a, on a bus. I managed to get through Merthyr, and after we got through Merthyr, we got to Cardiff. And then I remember, you know, you remember things, don't you, as a young as a young person, because you're really impressionable. Walking in this big bustling city, I'm from a little valley's town in Ebervale, and all of these people are rushing past you with their bags and their shopping, and there's this huge hustle and bustle. It's Christmas time, the music's on. You didn't have any of that in Ebervale. You had a little market with a hot dog stand. You go down to Cardiff, and you're in the big city, and you're seeing it all. And I hunted with my 10 pounds for my present for my nan. She wasn't going to get high karate aftershave, even if she had a few whiskers on her chin. No, she borrowed my gramps aftershave for that. And nan, if you're listening, you know I love you. 
some theologian will get offended by the fact that I just talked to my nan. Sorry. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm running around Cardiff with my little 10 pound note, wondering where I'm going to get this present. And I go from shop to shop, and it's all too expensive. I cannot find the present that I need for my, ma my nan. So, you know, I'm on my way back to the bus station, and I didn't know really what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden, a man stands in front of me, believe it or not, and says, do you need a Christmas present, son? I said, yes, I do. I thought it was divine intervention. <laughs> right there. Is this an angel from God? Providing a Christmas present for me, and suddenly a little table pops out in front of me. And the man sets his table up. I'd never seen anything like it in all my life. And he pulls back a little black piece of material, and there's all this gold on the table. And he says, There's your Christmas present, son. And my eyes are like saucers now, thinking, My God, it's gold. And suddenly there's a crowd around us and this man is trading and he's, he's going fast and he's saying, listen, it's a two-for-one offer today. If you buy now, you'll not only get a beautiful gold necklace, you'll get a ring too. Man, I had my 10 pound out of my pocket and I said, will 10 pound do it? He said, son, give me that 10 pound. I'll give you your chain. I was the first customer. I had a nice gold chain and a nice gold ring. My goodness me. Off I went. I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. A gold chain. A gold ring. I mean, it was the story of Jack and the Beanstalk all over again. And I was Jack. I went home, and I was so excited. The day before Christmas Eve, I packed it up. And I was ready for this wonderful surprise that was going to get given on Christmas morning. Christmas morning came. I proudly walked in with my present for Nan. And she opened it and could not believe what was before her very eyes. A gold chain. A gold ring. My God. Not even my grandfather had ever bought my nan anything like that. And they're thinking, where on earth did you get the money for this, son? I mean, they were simple valleys people. Simple valleys people. A real, my boy, I love you, come by you. I got the biggest hug I'd ever had. The biggest kiss that I'd ever had. And everybody was looking at me. Wondering where I'd got this gold chain from. Of course, I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them that a man suddenly appeared before me with a little table and a black velvet cloth and started to barter with everybody. I thought I'd best leave that in the background. <laughs> so anyway, my nan proudly wears it through dinner into Boxing Day and then on through the week. But into, this, into, into the first week of the new year, there's a strange rash <laughs> appearing around her neck. Probably a couple of boils as well. And a little rash on her finger where this beautifully laden gold ring sat. 
And then as she removed the ring and took the necklace off, there was an ugly band of green <laughs> appearing. And the gold, the gold bracelet or necklace that I'd bought her and the green, oh, the, no, yeah, it, did, it was green in the end, but the gold ring that I'd bought her had suddenly turned black and green. And with that, sadly, it went in the bin. And we all learned a lesson that day. The age-old saying became very apparent. Not everything that glitters, <laughs> you know it, is gold. Not everything that glitters is gold. Now, I say all of that to say this. On this night, in this room, you think, how on earth is he ever going to mix this story and marry this story into this passage of Scripture? I don't know yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> on this night, Jesus was showing these disciples what was authentic, what was authentic, what was real, what will work. He was standing in the face of every other religious fraud, fraud, fraudster. He was standing in the face of every other form of life and saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Boys, I know it's hard. I know you've been battling. I know you've been fighting with one another as to who the greatest is. It's human nature. But I am showing you another way, boys. And this way works. And if you will do it, and if you will practice it, blessed will you be. And the, dis and the disciples were amazed at what Jesus said when he said, a new commandment I give unto you. He said, listen, this is brand new. This is untried. This is unproven. But you've got to take it by faith and trust and see it outworked through your life. And it's this that's going to define you. It's this that the world is going to see. And through this, they will know that you are my disciples. I have not brought you into this room, guys, to give you a miracle working ministry, although they did perform miracles. But it was this love that would trigger every miracle. It was this compassion in the human heart that would give them an ache for the human dilemma that they saw on their streets, that they saw in their cities, that they saw prevailing over all the nations. It was this love, this genuine love that would go the extra mile and enable them to sleep in prisons, enable them to endure incredible backlash and persecution, enable them to hang on a plank at sea for three days and three nights and be bereft of any hope. It was this love at the core of their being that would get them through and enable them to be His hands his feet in their day and in their generation. Jesus was revealing to them what was authentic. This world to every one of us voices many, many promises every single day that we wake up. Tomorrow, your day is going to be filled with voices that promise you this and voices that promise you that. 
But you know what? It's going to glitter and it's going to be appealing and it's going to pull you emotionally this way. It's going to pull you emotionally that way. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sound so inviting because the promise that this world gives is quick, instant, it's cheap. It doesn't require any commitment. Just take it on board. But it's just like that tarnishing chain that glitters, but it's not gold. But on this night, Jesus was showing these disciples what was authentic. And he collided. His actions collided. Collided with the sources of authority that they relied on. Every one of us in this room and even outside of this room rely on sources of authority to shape and frame our life, to formulate belief systems and values that we hold to. These men, just like us, had their relied upon sources of authority that had shaped their mind, developed their beliefs, and given them values. The first source of authority, this is a big one, is self. Self is a source of authority that people rely on every day. There's no voice outside of themselves to bring instruction and direction. They're a law unto themselves. There's no body that can come higher than their own source, which is self. But sadly, the Bible tells us that that is a faulty source of authority. Proverbs, in fact, on, you know, countless times, you can see it. It contends with this source of authority of self, and it calls it foolishness. You look through the book of Proverbs, and you, you, you see words like this, wisdom cries out in the street. Not, it doesn't say wisdom shouts angrily, and wisdom confronts. Wisdom cries out, appealing to those walking past with this self supported source of authority. I'm going to do it my way. There is no other way. And the Bible says it's foolishness. It's foolishness to obey that source of authority. In fact, the book of Proverbs goes on to put it like this. It says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. Self as a source of authority is faulty. Even Jesus said that himself. When talking about two men and how they built their life, he said that his, what, there was one man and he was a foolish man. Why? Because his reliance was on himself. And he built his house as big as the next man, as, the, as big as the wise man. But what he didn't take into, into account was that he was building on sand. And selfishness and self as a source of authority is like sand. It is unstable. It's unstable when the, when the tests of life come, when the storms come, as they do to everybody, either wise or foolish. The foundation of what you're building on will be revealed. And terrible was the collapse, Jesus said. Terrible was the collapse of that man's house that was foolish. Oh, it breaks God's heart. 
It breaks God's heart. God doesn't stand, you know, or sit in heaven with his arms crossed. Getting entertained by people's demise. Getting entertained by the calamities that people go through. God, it breaks God's heart. And everything that the Holy Spirit tries to do in all of our lives is to get us away from that self-supported source of authority. Jesus said that the person that hears my voice and does it, not just hear it. You see, the foolish man heard what he said, but he didn't go ahead and mix it with faith and do it. Jesus said, the person that hears my voice and goes ahead and does it, he'll be likened to a wise man. And his house is built upon the rock. The rock is Christ. Sources of authority. Self is a source of authority. Another source of authority that Jesus confronted is a cultural source of authority. And that's simply this. Well, just go with the crowd. Go with the flow. It's easy to swim downstream than it is upstream. If everybody's saying it, well, it must be true. Just go with it, man. What's the problem? Follow common consensus. Whatever the news say, whatever the internet say, whatever's on Facebook or Instagram or any other form of media, listen, just blend in like a chameleon. Have you ever seen a chameleon, how brilliant they are? You could put them on a, on a, you know, on a, on a backdrop of color and they'll take that shade of color. They climb up a tree and you can't see them because they blend in with the brown of the bark of the tree. You put them on grass and they blend in with the grass. They become green. You put them on a sandy desert and suddenly they become beige and brown. And people are just like that when they have got culture as a, as a, as a source of authority. They just blend in with any color. Listen, we weren't called to blend in. We were called to be the light of the world. And we were called to be salt so that this world could taste the wonder and the glory of God. No, we're not a chameleon. We're called to be a city on a hill. Exuding brilliant light and hope. Self can be a source of authority. There's nobody outside of myself to make the decisions. There's nobody outside of myself to bring instruction. There is no other wisdom higher than my own. Listen, it's a faulty source. Culture can be a source of authority where you just blend into anything and everything. And you don't stand for anything. But you fall for everything. Faulty source. Faulty source. Tradition can be... A source of authority. Well, we've just done, always done it this way. We've done it like my grandfather did it this way. Bless God. His great-grandfather and Uncle Tom did it this way as well. And we're going to do it this way. And they dig their heels in and they will not move. One of the greatest problems that Jesus had was not with sinners. He had the time of his life with sinners. He enjoyed and feasted and, and drank with them and ate with them and laughed with them. 
And the oil of gladness was upon him, and he healed all who came to him. There was no problem with sinners. The biggest problem was with the traditionalists, with those who dug their heels in, the religious that looked like prunes, or like Pastor Ray said, an elephant's backside. (laughs) My God, who'd want to follow a person like that? What does he call them? Godzilla's backside. Don't write your letters to me. Write them to Pastor Ray. He said it. Godzilla's backside. We can't do it like that. Nothing new. Don't. No. No new music in this church, boy. Uh -uh. Don't go with the flow. Come on. Grow up. Get a life. Get a life. Get Jesus in it. He's spontaneous. He's brilliant. He's glorious. He breaks the box. He does the unusual. He says, I'm coming with new wine. I'm not going to put it in an old wineskin. It deserves a brand new wineskin. An old wineskin that just burst because this new wine is so dynamic. It's so brilliant. It's so explosive. The old won't be able to contain it. It needs a new wineskin that can stretch and breathe and grow with the power of this new life. You see, tradition... Now, there are some traditions that are good. So it's not kicking tradition into touch. But you know what I'm saying? When tradition becomes a problem, when there's no substance to, to, to a Bible in it, and it's just, listen, we've done it this way and we are doing it this way, there's a problem with your attitude. Change it. Change it. Jesus said this to religious people. He said, you nullify the Word of God through your traditions. Imagine that. These men look so pious. They they had all of the form. They had all of the attention of people. And Jesus stands up in the face and the source of that authority, traditional authority. And he said this. He said, you have nullified the power of God through your rules, your regulations, and your abeyance to tradition. I tell you now, if Jesus walked in here this morning, I guarantee probably all of us would walk out and say, that is not Jesus. He challenged, I'm telling you, man, and that's why we've always got to be open. We've always got to be, we've, we've always got to be pliable in the hands of God. We really have, because He is wonderful. And then the final source of authority, you know it as well as I do. The only source of authority is Jesus. 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 I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Jesus is that source of authority that we must receive. Peter was struggling with Jesus being the source of authority for his life. He called him Lord. But then Jesus, through his actions, unveiled that he really wasn't Peter's only source of authority. You will never, he says, you will never wash my feet. What was Jesus revealing through his servant heart? He was revealing a source within Peter that drew from self. What was Peter saying? 
He said, he was saying this basically from that source of authority, Jesus, you can be above me, but you cannot be beneath me. Jesus comes in, he says, Peter, I can be above you, I can be beneath you, because I'm a servant of all, and I'm the Lord of all. And not only am I your Lord above you, but I am your Savior beneath you. That's what he was showing them, and that's why he said to Peter, Peter, if you don't allow me to do this, this is where the road closes. This is where we go our separate ways, Peter. And Peter understanding the severity of the moment which he had brought himself into. Says, Lord, sorry, I'm backing up. But even after this night, The circumstances and the pressures of the night ahead and the days in front of them would reveal to them these faulty sources of authority that they had relied on. Peter raises his sword, goes to cut a man's ear off. Jesus says, see, different source, the source of aggression, self-preservation. It's a source of authority. I must defend myself. You strike my cheek, I'll cut your ear off. Jesus had said, hey, we don't do things around here like that. We don't do things like that in my new kingdom. That's not the spirit in which I am coming. Put it away, Peter. Put that behavior away. Put your weapon away, Peter. That selfish voice of authority rose up, and Jesus quietens him down, heals the man's ear, and on he, on he goes to lay his life down. As I have loved you, those words would ring in these disciples' ears those words, that phrase would filter on down into their spirits so deep. On the cross, as I have loved you, what you're going to see, what you're about to behold and witness, you would never ever have imagined, boys, that I am going to go to this length, not only to get to you and change you, but to change, to change the entire face of this planet. As I have loved you, what is in front of you, what you don't understand now, but you will understand soon, as I lay this example in front of you, love one another. Love one another. Go the extra mile. Wash one another's feet. It's not about the one, boys. You've been looking to see who is the one. Who is the greatest. That's how this old world operates. It's how it always operates. And it's how it will operate but it's not how my kingdom is built. It's about the one another. The one another. And we'll see in the weeks to come that that phrase, one another, is weaved right through all of the epistles in the New Testament. One another. It's not about the one. It's about the one another. I'll give you, I'll give you just one. Honor one another. They, they, they weaved it. 
it was a phrase that they'd never heard until this night when Jesus was with them. But they'd seen it so wonderfully displayed. It had disarmed every support and mechanism that they had relied on. And now it was about the one another. And as the church emerged in newness of life, you see it, honor one another. They write in their epistles, be at peace with one another. Love one another as I have loved you. We'll get to some of those verses, but it's an incredible, incredible life that we have been given the privilege to live. It's not based on our strength alone. It's based on His love within us. Amen? Amen. Have you received God's Word this morning?